Welcome back to the Redbird Report. I'm your host, Scott Prieros. With me today, I have my co-sports editor, Reed Watkins. What's up, and, everybody? Uh, and with us, we have a special guest, Kyle Langelier. Uh, he's former ISU track and field athlete, currently a junior at Illinois State. How's it going, Kyle? Yeah, it's going good. Awesome. So, Kyle, you're a journalism student? That's correct. Yeah, so Kyle worked at the Vidette while running track and field for ISU. So I just kind of want to hear about... What's the student-athlete experience like from your perspective? Uh, I got to say, student-athlete life is kind of like living two different, in two different worlds. Mm. It's very much, uh, you kind of got your school and academics on one side, and you got your athletics on another, and it's, you know, there's just no overlap, you know? It's just you're, you're 100% this way and you're 100% that way, and it, it keeps you busy. Mm. So what got you interested in journalism? Um... You know, just in high school, I was, you know, English was kind of one of my favorite subjects, that kind of thing, history, and I, you know, I was a pretty good writer, and it just really interested me to, you know, write articles and talk to people. Mm -hmm. So less of what me and Scott are doing, more on the um, news side of journalism, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm interested in doing. I like talking to people, hearing their stories, and, you know, get it out there for other people to read. That's so cool. Um and then, so you did track and field uh, freshman and sophomore year. Right. And you are not running this year. That is correct. I uh, unfortunately had to uh, put down my uh, my spikes, and I decided to focus more on journalism and my career. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's 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 not easy being a student student athlete. You know, trying to keep up those good grades, and a lot of people are very successful at it, and they just got that time management down to a scientific level. Fortunately, that that wasn't for me. Mm. I do want to ask, so obviously I know student-athletes do usually get a little bit ahead of the game in terms of being able to like register for classes just so you can fit your schedule, but even so, I mean, you probably don't have a ton of free time, do you? Yeah, well, uh, definitely not when I was an athlete. You know, it's all very tight. you got to get up really early for weights, and then you go to classes, and then in the afternoon you got practice, and then it's all about eating healthy, you know, making sure homework's done, getting to bed at a good time. You know, it's, it's a pretty strict schedule. It's fun, though, you know, because you're – if you do it right, you're succeeding in two different ways of life, and it, it can be really rewarding. And they do help you a little bit. I think, I, I don't know if you know Jace Coffey. He was a thrower uh, here at Illinois State, and I knew that he, they had, like, study sessions that you were, like, mandatory supposed to go to. I don't know if you had the same thing where, like, at least, like, once or twice a week you were supposed to go into a building for, like, two hours, and that you had to do your homework so that they knew that you were on game. Is that something you did? Yeah, that's absolutely something that I got to take advantage of. You know, they have uh, these people who kind of monitor your grades constantly, make sure you're up on everything, and that's also very helpful. They have a whole building, it's called the Stud, where athletes go to, and they do those required kind of study groups. You know, you have to clock in as many hours a week in there to do homework. Um... And, yeah, it's a, it's a nice tool, and they do kind of, they're able to help you as much as they can on the academic side. And then um, as an athlete in the track and field program, does it feel like you're kind of an unsung hero among ISU student-athletes out of the spotlight of maybe a men's basketball, football player? I think if you're, you know, a track and field athlete, I don't think you're expecting mm -hmm. to get the same exposure mm -hmm. that a football player or basketball player is going to get to. Um, you know, the thing about track and field is it's really a lot of it's an individual sport. It's obviously a team sport and you're scored as a team. But for that one race, that one throw, you know, it's just you out there and you're just trying to perfect your craft as, you know, as, uh, as much as you can. 
it's as perfect as you can get it. And I think that's that's the unique grind of track and field is at the end of the day, it's just you with a pair of shoes and you're out there grinding, you know, as much as you possibly can. Do you feel like some of those athletes go underappreciated then? I think we got a lot of, I know a lot of talented people on that team. And I looked up to a lot of those people. And I think... I, I think they do deserve a little more exposure than they get. I, there's definitely a few people, you know, being at the Vidal, I would have liked to see them get interviewed and mm-hmm. see them, yeah, absolutely. I, I think people think, you know, sitting in the stands for four hours for a track meet, watching races, you know, hundreds of people you don't know, you know, th- that's not an appealing way to spend your afternoon, but I think if you watch the pure, like, athleticism of some of these races, I think people, you know, could really eat that up. I think there's something there that maybe some people are overlooking. Do you have some teammates that you'd like to maybe shout out or people you still stay in touch with from the track and field program? Yeah, well, I got one of my roommates. His name is Jaden Johnson. Um, he is one of the hardest working people I know. He's a senior. He's a psych major. And he's a hurdler, a great hurdler. And honestly, he's just a year older than me, but he's a big inspiration. I'm so proud of him for being able to balance this life that I, I wasn't able to. And there's so many people in the program that can just balance student life and athletic life perfectly that I just wish I could do. Like Jackie Grecky, she was a senior last year. She's a graduate student now. I mean, she was just amazing. She was a team leader, had her life together on and off the track, and also finally got a shout-out. Another senior last year, his name was Brandon Gage. I think he was another psych major. That guy, I mean, is an incredible person. I would have liked to see him interviewed a lot more. I think his name needs to be known in the ISU community because he was just great. I will say I've met Jaden Johnson. He's from uh, Freeport, Illinois, which is just about probably 30 minutes north of where I lived. So I've met him a couple times. Great guy. I don't know. I haven't been able to watch a whole lot of track meets, but just based on the work ethic that I've seen him bring, I know I have him on, like, Snapchat, so I've seen him, the how early he gets up, how hard he works. So definitely it's, it was definitely a tough thing. Do you ever, like, miss doing that stuff, getting up early and going for those runs? You know, I actually, I really do uh, miss it sometimes. Getting up early, you know, it's hard to get out of bed, but once you're in the weight room, you just forget that, you know, it's the morning. You forget it's 6 a.m. You're just having fun with the team. You have fun building on yourself. And honestly, you know, that's kind of part of the struggle for me is I I left because, honestly, I wasn't performing as well as, you know, Jaden does and a lot of other people. And it's just the way it had to go for me in my career. But... Uh, you still there's nothing like finishing a workout where you've killed it and it's just that satisfying feeling um so there's definitely things i miss but for me exiting was the right choice but i'm still so excited to see what all my teammates are up to and and stuff like that what's been kind of like the biggest difference that you've noticed this semester your first semester probably in just in countless years without doing track yeah wow let me let me think about that for a moment You know, there's obviously there's obviously a lot of time. You know, a lot of lot of free time that is on it. It's kind of it's hard to fill. You know, at first I was filling it with doing workouts on my own, and you know it's not the same. And then I'm trying to dig in deeper to work, and you know it's just a process trying to get a new whole new schedule down. It's probably the biggest change. Yeah, I can't imagine the change in terms of just being like. You come, you get up in the morning. You're like, oh, I don't have to go to lifting, and then you finish class. You're like, oh, I don't have to go to practice. Like, I, I just can't imagine the change that you had to go through for that this first semester. I mean, we're already almost done with it, but I mean, just are you getting a hang of it now? Yeah, I definitely, you know, long learning curve, and uh, for at least for me, it's kind of always been that way, trying to get that schedule to work. But 
yeah, right now I'm feeling a little better. You know, I'm spending a lot more time in the library now that I'm not doing track and getting getting a lot more work done. But it definitely, definitely took some time to get used to. I um, had the opportunity to talk to Nicole Lund earlier this year, who's a volleyball player that was forced to medically retire um, this season in the middle of your senior season. And she told me about being able to go to a football game for maybe the second time in her Redbird career as a senior and stepping foot in the rec center for the first time ever as a regular student after she retired. Do you have any experiences like that? You know, it's funny you say that because I'm actually, I'm a junior. I have never been to a football game here. <laughs> um, and the rec center is another thing. You know, I used to lift weights, you know, three days a week, 6 a.m., and now I'm doing it alone at the rec center. <laughs> it is it is crazy. My first few times in there, I was scared. You know, and it, obviously, like, I'm used to lifting with friends. Um, and and I, all my workouts were laid out for me every single day. I didn't have to think about it, just do. And now I'm, I'm doing everything. And, yeah, it was very scary. Now, you know, I'm kind of getting the hang of it. But it's pretty it's pretty daunting. Mm-hmm. I, you have any more questions, Reed? I think I I'm think that's good. about it. Very interesting to hear about. Um, the student-athlete perspective, and then life after the student-athlete experience here at ISU. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, here, I just I want to say one more thing, too, just again about my teammates who are still going, you know, because I, I could have had two more years on the team, and I, I, I just think it shows that it takes so much every day to be a student-athlete at any level, at any college, and especially here at ISU. You know, the track coaches are very competitive. They want to win, and athletes want to win. And, you know, you got to try your hardest every day. And I don't think those athletes think about that because, you know, it'll get too much if they think like, oh, you know, I'm trying my hardest today. I think they just push through because they have that ability. And I think that's something that is really respectable. And I, I look up to all my teammates that are still going. Really appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you so much. Uh, Kyle Langelier. So uh, I think that's it for now. Cool. Yeah, yeah thank absolutely. you, guys. Thank you. All right. So that was a great interview there with Kyle Langelier. Really appreciate that. Um but now we're going to move on to some sports here, starting with uh, ISU football. Uh, tough loss this past weekend, to say the least. Uh, North Dakota State, they fell 24 um, 7. Just, we talked about this last week, and I've talked about this a lot. Is one of the things we just talked about before here, um, we didn't want to see Annex Dead turning the ball over. And he did it in this game once, and it was in one of those situations where. You just can't do it. They were marching up, or it was a tie game, 7-7, I'm sorry, with two minutes left in the first half, and they were at the North Dakota State 34-yard line, and he threw an interception. Uh, North Dakota State would end up scoring exactly two minutes later with four seconds left in the half to go up 10-7 into halftime. They had a lot of the momentum. Um, if you don't throw that interception, you could very well be up 10-7 at halftime. It's a completely different ball game. I know it's three points, but... And you get the ball to start the second half, momentum you have. I mean, you just can't have those turnovers. Yeah, disappointing game. Um, I mean, they had him on upset alert through the first half, down three. Could have been up three. But, I mean, 24 unanswered points, only scoring seven points in the game. You're not going to win a game against such a great team with those numbers. A few of the statistical performances I wanted to highlight – Winker's right, only one rush attempt. Um, he did go down, I guess, after. Yeah. It was after his first carry. I think he lost four yards. I didn't, I wasn't able, obviously I wasn't at the game. I was watching for a little bit. I must have been away when he had that one carry because I didn't see it, but I saw 
on Twitter that he had gone down after that first carry. Yeah, and it's just a bummer um, for someone that's been fighting so hard to stay in the rotation with the injuries he's already faced. So um, it's just hard to rely on your, I guess it's third string now. I, Philippe Brown was their leading rusher with 13 carries, and I think Nigel White had been the starter. Um, so third, fourth string running back, it's hard to rely on them. Um, looks like they had strong efforts, but obviously you don't want to be in a position where you're giving them the ball that much um, for what they had been expected of going into the season. And then Jalen Carr with um, four catches, 42 yards. Sobkowitz with the touchdown, um, also four catches, 34 yards. Um, I would, Did you see anything out of this receiving core this week? I would say I really like Daniel Sobkowitz. His touchdown catch, it was obviously a designated play right for him. Great throw, great adjustment, great catch. I mean, it's clear. I think that I think him and Tanner Taula would probably be coming apart as his two favorite receivers. I mean, I think Tanner Taula only did have one catch in that game, but I think people are starting to realize that he's one of Anikstead's main targets, so maybe they're covering a little mm-hmm. more. But I think over the past few weeks, you've seen him really start a... Uh, I'm sorry, Tanner Tala. You would see him really start coming up on top of everyone else. Uh, I really thought Bryson Deming would be there. Three catches, 22 yards, but throughout the season, I don't know that he has. He might have one touchdown so far. But it's just... I don't know. You really still don't really have a guy that yardage-wise, target-wise, all that good stuff. You don't have a guy that's really standing out yet to this point. Yeah, and... It, it's hard to point to anyone because there's a lot of reasons to go to a lot of different guys in these scenarios, but someone I've just been seeing the praises of all year is Jalen Carr. I mean, how can you not like that speed? I just think you got to yes. find a way to give him the ball in open field, and maybe it's not through the offense. Maybe it's on special teams. They don't return punts. That's just not a thing that they do, and I'd like to see them just take advantage of something that could be a big momentum play, even to break off 10 yards on a punt return. It can help you with field positioning, and obviously there have been a few instances, I think at least two fumbled punts this year, so I get why you don't want to take a risk, Um, but I think, especially when you're the underdog in this scenario, they did return three kicks for 66 yards, which I'm just going to guess is their high on the season, because they haven't been returning kicks either, but I I just want to say give Jalen Carr the ball as much as you can. Um, such an explosive player that I just love to watch this year. Yeah, I wonder if maybe, I don't know if this is in uh, Tony Peterson's uh, playbook or in their philosophy or whatnot, but what if you give him the ball in the backfield once in a while, mm-hmm. maybe like a jet sweep or something like that? Which, mm-hmm. When you have speed, he's that type of player who would take advantage of those opportunities. And I don't know, I mean... You never know. Maybe they just think the way that they... Cause yeah, Wenker's right was having a great season rushing the ball, but and I'm like I said, I'm still not sure the extent of this injury. I have not heard much about it. Uh, obviously, we'll see Saturday when they play Youngstown State, but if you do have Wenker's right, a guy who can run right up the gut who's out now, you got to find ways to get offense going, which is maybe outside the tackles with a guy who can run at the speed that Jalen Carr can run. I'd love to see it, and I wouldn't be opposed to opening up the playbook a little bit this week with Youngstown State coming to town. A must-win game. Absolutely, and it's against an opponent. I mean, Youngstown State kind of projected to be at the bottom of the MBSC, but they're 5-3 and three this year. Um, and Same record, so yeah. both teams are in a situation where this is a must-win game for them. It really is. 
I, but you look at them, and so in conference play for uh, Youngstown State, so you had North Dakota State, they allowed 27 points. North Dakota, you allowed 35 points. Indiana State, you allowed 42 points. Western Illinois, you allowed 27 points. South Dakota, you allowed 24 points. ISU, outside of that uh, Wisconsin game, I don't believe it was allowed more than 24. I believe, yeah, this North Dakota State game was the most that they allowed, 24. Um, that ISU needs to take advantage of that. I mean, I'm sure Youngstown State has some playmakers because they scored 45, 28, 48, 30 in all those games, but you need to take advantage of a defense that, based on looking at that, based on the stats, is a little vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, giving up 24 points to a number four ranked team, you'd think you'd have a chance to win the game off that. And they're typically, I mean, look at the way the game went last year. They're it, was, it was almost the exact same way. Yeah. And so you knew that maybe it would be a little bit more of a defensive shootout than an offensive shootout. But, you know, you want to... If you give up 24 points, you want your offense to have a chance to win the game. And they have just not done that in the games where uh, they could have. I mean, we're going to keep going back to the Southern Illinois game. 19 points allowed. They only can score 14. And um, that game, gonna win you're going like to keep... That. Yeah, I agree 100%. You're going to keep looking back at that game because that was... Honestly, it seemed like another must-win game. It was early in the year, but... I that mean, was a team forward at the schedule. You knew, yeah. That was a team that you could definitely beat. And offensively, in the first half, they moved the ball. But then turnovers, incomplete passes, and third down situations. I mean, they weren't able to convert, and that's what you need to be able to do in these situations. Looking back at last year's game, I just wanted to talk about this. So it was ten nothing going into the well, going into halftime, and then the third quarter too, going into the fourth because they didn't score in the third. So you're down ten nothing going into the fourth quarter, and. Honestly, I think people just let's. I want to look at the stats real quick for that game. Bryce Jefferson, he had four completions on 18 attempts in that game for 40 yards, two interceptions. Jackson Waring went 0 for 2 in that game. That I did not realize that that's how that game entirely went. Um, let's look at this real quick. Total offense, ISU had 99 yards in that game. Yeah, and. So that's back-to-back -back years that North Dakota State team, who is a very good North Dakota State team, that you could have beaten, but you just and can't produce. The thing is, we thought that offense was going to be fixed for this year. And it had looked like it at times. Right. It really had. But, and I said this over and over and over again, you just, he was holding on to that ball, and then in that Indiana State game, they did win, but he turned the ball over once, and then this North Dakota State game, he turned it over in a situation where you just... You absolutely can't turn the ball over. And you're not blowing out teams that you are favored to win going into the game. South Dakota, you win by two in what was a thriller when it really shouldn't have been. Indiana you know. State, you won by six. Right. You left 10 points on the board kicking. That could have been a 16-point game. It's completely different. The way te teams look at you now is completely different as well. I mean, Eastern Illinois, 35-7, they should have done that. But Valparaiso, that's a game that I look at a lot. And I will stick by this. I think we talked about it a lot. Wisconsin has honestly been one of ISU's better games this year. Wisconsin is a heck of an opponent. They are a Big Ten team. And, yeah, they lost 38-0, but the way the first 20 minutes of that game went, ISU looked great. But it just – the theme throughout this year has been they move the ball, but they can never convert. Mm -hmm. And it's 
I don't know. We this weekend will be a big game. They have got three games left: Youngstown State at South Dakota State, Western Illinois for Senior Day. You obviously have to win at least Youngstown State and Western Illinois. Seven and four could get you into the playoff, but then it comes down to that South Dakota State game, and it comes down to that North Dakota State game too. You got to keep it close. North Dakota State was a three-score game. That doesn't look great. I mean, they are a good team, but if you could make that even a two-score game, it's a completely different way that teams look at you and the way that the committee would look at you. And now South Dakota State, I think you got to keep that within fourteen too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I'm also wondering, could a blowout performance against Youngstown State or Western Illinois give them a better shot? I agree one hundred percent. I think especially Western Illinois. I know Western Illinois' defense is not at the top of its game right now. They haven't won a game yet this year. You've got to take advantage of that to close out the season. If you can come away with a three, maybe four-score win in that game, which I know that ISU has only done that, what, once this year? Yeah, against Eastern Illinois, they won by 28. But if you can come away with a big-time win in that game, that helps your cause. But like I said, I think you got to win these games the way that you should win them and then you got to find a way to compete with South Dakota State. That is a great team. I believe they are number one, aren't they, right yep, now? Yeah, number one in FCS football. And you want to see ISU come into the game with the mentality that they're going to shock the country, knocking off the number one team. And, you know, you, you kind of, maybe at this point in the season, you're wishing that you had ducked these opponents, you'd gotten a better schedule, um, a better poll in the MBFC. But maybe tech, take pride in it, you know? Going to the game with the being appreciative of, of the chance that you have to knock off the number one team in the country, not being worried about keeping the game close, go and trying to win it. Yeah, I would agree 100%. So obviously, like I said, uh, ISU will play Youngstown State on Saturday. Big game there, must win. you got to find a way to make a statement in that game. And then you got two more games, South Dakota State and Western Illinois. So big things to come for football. Um, I think that's it for me, though. So I'll move on to volleyball. Uh, one and one this past weekend. Uh, I think it was, to me, it was almost flipped of the results that I thought might happen. I thought maybe Missouri State would be the game that they could take advantage of. Southern Illinois would be a little tougher just based on where Southern Illinois is in the conference right now. But a sweep at the hands of Missouri State, and then you beat Southern Illinois in uh, four sets. And I got to say, that was the best that I've seen them play this year, which might be good going into this weekend against uh, two of the top teams in the conference, and you and I and Drake, um, who they lost to both last time. But ISU in that game hit 322, and they were hitting 191 on the season going into that. So it's just a completely different game, and that's without Sarah Kushner playing front row. She stayed in the back row the entire game, which really worked out. Um, Kalia Club had a great game. Ada Shadowald, her attack percentage was higher than what it has been a lot this season, but they just got to find that consistency offensively. Yeah, it was a weird energy in Redbird Arena on Friday night, and it was just unfortunate because you really thought that this team um, was ready to make a statement this weekend, and the freshmen were going to come together and um, knock off another team in the co- in the conference, but they weren't able to do that until Saturday night, and it would have been absolutely huge for their season to do it both nights. So a little bit of a disappointing weekend um, from volleyball, but mathematically, not eliminated. Plenty of opportunities. Um, must you, win. You are at must win, and even at the point where you have to start rooting for other teams to lose, which is not where any coach wants to be. You want to be in charge of your own destiny, but I think this ISU team, 
Um, they're going to keep fighting. They want to be in the tournament. I mean, I talked to a couple of them yesterday, and that is the number one goal. That's why they're showing up to practice. That's why they're working so hard still. They want to be in those top eight teams. And I do want to point something out here. Um, obviously, it's a bunch of what-ifs, but ISU had a couple massive injuries to a couple key players this year, obviously, Nicole Lund and Caitlin Pranzinski. Heading into conference play, ISU was 7-4, uh, and four, and they were 1-1 one and one against ranked teams. The rest of the conference was 0-7 against ranked teams at that point. Um, at 7-4, and four, ISU would have been sitting at 4th in the conference, and that was fully healthy. And then they beat Indiana State and lost to Evansville that weekend. You lose Nicole Lund. You have Pranzinski going for a couple more matches, and then she goes down, and you just haven't seen the same team. But I think, just maybe... They're starting to get a little more consistency now that everyone's starting to return. Uh, Caitlin Leffler still has not started, but it seems like she is very close. She's warming up in, before all these matches, but that would be a big boost too. But you just have such a tough schedule. You have So you and I, Drake, UIC, and Valpo are four out of the top five teams, and you just beat, you just beat the number four team in the conference. So those are must-wins, and then you close out the season with maybe – a match that might determine whether or not you make the tournament at home against your I-74 rival in Bradley. Yeah, I mean, that's the dream, right? For that would be... Redbird fans and ISU athletics and even for us covering the game, how great would it be to see ISU versus Bradley on a Wednesday night with a trip to the MVC tournament on the line? And then maybe a Cinderella story from there. You never know. I mean, you're playing the number five seed who... Right now would have been Valparaiso, so obviously you want to beat them this uh, coming weekend. Um, and then anything can happen from there. If you are if you get into that tournament, anything's possible. At that point, you're 0-0. Right, and the one team that's looked untouchable to this point would have to be UNI. I think, was it UNI or Drake that I saw that has won like 15 straight sets or something like that on Twitter? They've oh, Yeah, they've I don't know about sets, but they're, I think they're 13-0 in the conference, UNI is. So... I mean, you got a shot at them Friday night. I mean, if you want to see where you are in the conference, there's a good chance yeah, to if, if find you find out. a way to take them down, that would be absolutely massive for just your team confidence and all that. Um, obviously, some big games, but you're at home. Maybe you get some advantage there, a little home court. But I just, I don't know. It's It's been an interesting season for them from the start. We talk about it every week. It hasn't gone the way that they probably obviously expected it to go. But, like I said, anything can happen, but you are in a must-win situation from here on out the rest of this regular season. And I would just want to point out, it was indeed uh, Drake. Drake has swept their last five matches. They beat wow. UIC, Evansville, Indiana State, Belmont, Murray State. They're 3-0. and And then they beat Valparaiso... Three to one, so they have at least sixteen straight. Let me look here. They have won seventeen straight sets. Drake has that is unheard of, honestly, to say the least. But it, like I said, anything can happen if you get into that tournament. You're it's free game from that point on. Yeah, and looking ahead at this weekend against you and I, um, they obviously lost one to three at. Um, in Cedar Falls to you and I, but something that can be lost in the box score is they won that first set, and they came out first game yeah. the night before. Sarah Kushner went down, sprained her ankle. Sarah Jacobson tore her ACL. They came out and won the first set on Pack the Arena night. 
kind of shocked you and I for a little bit there. Um, so they, they only lost of, by two in the second. Right. Game. I mean, they're proud of how they competed in that game. So um, maybe the way this team matches up against them, obviously since then you've lost Lon and Pranzinski, so hard to say, but maybe they can have one of those matchups that's favorable for one reason or another. And then... Um, Actually, but in that set, you didn't, I don't believe you had... You didn't have Pranzinski there either. She was already out by then. Oh, right. She was. So yeah, that right. even makes it... Like oh, and thinking, I'm thinking Indiana State. They didn't have one at that point. So yeah, so you're you're wondering maybe. I mean, this is what the team that you'll be bringing Friday night if you if Sarah Kushner is fully healthy, like they said she could very well be. Which I understand why they're not putting her front row yet. You mm-hmm. do not want to risk anything if you are going to make a push, but you are in must win situation. So if she is fully healthy and you bring her into this U and I match where you took the first set and then was 25-23, 25-22 the next yep. two. She's going to swing at a lot of balls tonight or on Friday night if she is fully healthy. And yeah. that just has to be their offensive attack if she's available in that capacity. Um, and if you take them down, it's a completely different atmosphere for your team. <sighs> yeah, that'll change your season. And you can... <laughs> If you can take them down, why not just win out, you know? That's what they need to do, so, honestly, it seems like. Yeah, I think they have to go 4-1 and one for a, um, to make the tournament confirmed, but obviously who knows what can happen with it the also, losses. It's going to come down to what these other teams do, right. because Missouri State, I believe, has a very tough schedule coming up here. They, they're they just in the same boat. I mean, they have Evansville's near the top there. They have to play Drake and UNI uh, still, and they have SIU still, so a couple of the top teams, but... So, little, yeah. you control your own destiny, but you also you also Relying don't on others, in some yeah. ways. Missouri State and Murray State have the tiebreaker over um, ISU. Um, and then at practice last night, saw Sarah Kushner swinging at some balls in the front row. And um, good to see, but she was still mainly in the back row. So only Tuesday, but um, hard to say. And then there is a little bit of a stomach bug going around the team, unfortunately. So Emily Weber missed practice last night. And um, hopefully that's not too much. Right, yeah. So we're just hoping everyone's available that can be on Friday night if you're an ISU fan. And um, yeah, and then an update on the um, uh, Caitlin Leffler situation. So they are just having her dress right now, and they have been having her dress for these games. But with how, um, with how their setters look right now, they just don't feel the need. Don't, yeah, you don't and, that. And um, I brought up the idea of a medical... Uh, red shirt and apparently that is at the discretion of the um, athletic trainers and not the coaching staff okay um so it could still be ruled that she is deserving of that and from everything you've seen that season i feel like that's why you have a medical red shirt in ncaa athletics for someone who goes down and is not able to get back on the roster on the court so you really hope that that could be granted to her, and she shares the eligibility with this class of five freshmen that have had been so impressive so far. Very impressive. Um, especially considering their age and just in general. But then, um, yeah, so if they are willing to grant her that, the athletic training staff, and I don't know if it's ISU or outside of ISU, but, I mean, that would be such a gift for this program going forward to have her with all those freshmen together. I agree 100%. Uh, so a couple big games against the top two teams in the conference at Redbird Arena this coming weekend. So a lot to look forward to for this volleyball team. Uh, I think that's it for volleyball for me. Oh, yeah, big senior night. Big senior night on Saturday is something we should probably mention. Yes. Nicole Lund will be honored um, as a senior, as she should. Um, she was, despite, I believe, 22nd in blocks in history. Which, 22nd in the program of all time. That's And that's only through three and a quarter seasons. So. Yeah. Um, so very impressive, very happy for her. Um, get to see her honored Saturday night. 
Um, and then alongside Kendi Hilliard, Katie Weimer-Skirt, and Sarah Kushner. So just a great opportunity to honor the senior class on Saturday evening. 100%. So uh, we do want to move on. I'll uh, talk a little bit about the cross-country team who had a very solid outing at the uh, MVC Championship this past weekend. Uh, third and fourth place finish. Uh, men's team finished third. Women uh, placed fourth. Men's was out of 11 teams. Women's was out of 12. Uh, a couple big performances. Mathis, Siobhan, uh, MVC Freshman of the Year, so mm -hmm. big performance for him. Congratulations there. And he got first team All-MVC honors. Uh, Baptist Tardivo and Zach Loomis all, both earned honorable mention. And then Ailey Mitchell earned first team All-MVC, while Rachel Hickey was also an honorable mention. So a big, uh, big award-filled weekend for the Redbirds there in the MVC Championship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Siobhan and Tardivo, the, the fellow Frenchmen, um, the countrymen um, representing their um, home country this weekend. Siobhan having a great standout season. Um, Tardivo had paced the team, I want to say, in the majority of their meets this year. Very impressive. Um, and then the women's team finished a couple spots below where they would have liked to based on everything I'd seen going into it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're not done. You got another chance at the NCAAs coming up here soon, so... Yep. Um, great opportunity there to get back at it and maybe find yourself, I mean, obviously much bigger field, much greater competition, but you have a shot to find yourself where you want to find yourself at the end of the year, um, standings-wise. I agree 100%. NCAA Midwest Regional coming up next Friday, the 11th, in Columbia, Missouri, and then anybody who advances past that will be in the NCAA Championships in Stillwater, Oklahoma, the following weekend. So, uh... Good luck to that ISU cross-country team. Uh, obviously, that's two weeks away, so we'll talk about them a little more next week pre previewing that. Um, the last thing I do want to talk about today, uh, men's and women's basketball got started on their seasons with some exhibition matchups. Um, start with the men's team, and I'll be honest with you, I was very happy with what I saw. I know um, Wooster D3 opponent, you might not have very high hopes for that, but, I mean, the way they played, they looked like a team that, the way they were scoring and the way they were succeeding, I don't think it would have mattered who they were playing, if you know right. what I mean. So, a couple big performances. Um, Colton Sandage in his return to Bloomington, 23 points, 5 of 9 from deep. I'm very high on Darius Burford. Um, he is a quick player. Um, Kendall Lewis is doing a little bit of everything like he's expected to do. Uh, Lee McChesney sat out with a uh, little hip injury, but from everything that we were told, it sounds like if it was regular season, and especially conference play, he would have played, but they just, obviously in an exhibition game, you do not want to risk that. But uh, yeah, a big win for ISU, 84-49 to over uh, Coach Peden's uh, alma mater, so. Yeah, absolutely. Just a great um, afternoon of basketball for the Redbirds at Redbird Arena, and um, I think Sandage probably had to be the standout performer there. and Definitely. I think it might be tempting to start him after something like that, but I really like him coming off the bench and being the leading scorer for the second unit. Yeah, we agreed. I am not positive, but it sound we agreed on that. But it sounds like maybe that is the plan because you got to look at some of the so their starters were uh, looking at this game. You went Alston Andrews, Kendall Lewis, Malachi Poindexter, Seneca Knight, and Darius Burford. I guarantee you, Kendall Lewis will remain. I could. I'm guessing Lee McChesney will jump in for Alston Andrews, probably in that starting. And then I think the other three might remain the starters. And because what you have that, Malachi Poindexter, great defender there. I mean, if you bring Luke Kasubke, Colton Sandage, 
Alex Katov had a solid start. If you bring those guys off the bench, I mean, that's not a bad second mm-hmm. unit. And then, obviously, you can keep some of those starters and you rotate like that. But it's really early in the season. So I think maybe you're kind of experimenting at first. I don't know if they fully solidified it because I will say the one position where I'm still trying to figure out what's going on there is the center position, maybe yeah. trying to get a little consistency there just because you lose Cy Chapman from last year who was a stud player. But you just got to find that consistency. Yeah, the information I saw pointed to McChesney taking over the five spot, which is great for offense, but I'm a little... The area of concern on Sunday was their interior defense. He's got the length, but I just don't know that he has the build. And obviously, I wrote a feature about this, about McChesney, and one of the things that Peden had talked about is they wanted him to put on muscle. They had him doing very serious workouts. They had him doing very serious protein plans with nutritionists Mm -hmm. and everything like that, trying to get him to get a little muscle on him. And I... He needs to put on a little muscle, but at the same time, the way he played last year, if you have a versatile player like that offensively, that would be huge. Yeah, I mean, if there's a way to get Liam McChesney scoring in Austin Andrews' build, <laughs> that's kind of the dream. <laughs> that for that would be the dream, wouldn't it? I mean, Austin Andrews didn't play a whole lot last year, but he looked great just physically. I really think from he did. From a physical standpoint. And he was able to do some good things with the basketball, too. Um, so if he's not in the starting rotation, I'd look for him to be a solid contributor on this team coming off the bench. And then two guys I'm interested in are Kasuke and Petrakis. I just really want to know what their role is going to be with for this team. I think they can both score the ball. I think Petrakis showed some good shooting touch a little bit in garbage time, but I think they can both contribute, especially on offense. From what I understand, I think Petrakis will have a similar role to McChesney in terms of being that kind of stretch forward who he can take it down low, but he can also spread the ball a little bit too. He has a little bit more of a build than McChesney, granted, still not a huge build there, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with this lineup. They start their season uh, next Monday the 7th, against in-state opponent Western Illinois. That is Colton Sandage's old school, so that'll be pretty nice for him. So uh, make sure to get out to that game. Um, the other thing we do want to talk about, uh, last thing, is women's basketball. Uh, they had their exhibition last night, beat Indianapolis 77-58. to And let me tell you, Paige Robinson is as advertised. 27 points, uh, 7 rebounds yesterday, uh, 8 of 8 from the line, 3 of 5 from deep. She looked. She, she can score from all three levels. And going into the season, Gillespie had talked about how she was going to fill Juju's role, but she wasn't the same type of player. But there were moments yesterday where, like, she took a shot, and I was like, Juju Redmond would have done that exact <laughs> same thing. Yeah, I mean, they didn't mince words about Paige Robinson yeah. ahead of the season, and it's something that you don't see a whole lot, is that the confidence they have in an incoming player saying that they are going to take this role, they are going to be filling the void as best they can of a stud, of a current professional basketball player. And it's just amazing that there's even a, a hope that she can fill those shoes of Juju Redman, Redman, sorry. And it just gets Redbird fans excited for another what could be another great season of women's basketball. Yeah, so this year you bring back four out of your five starters from last year's MVC championship team NCAA tournament appearance. You replace Juju Redman with Paige Robinson, who, all credit to Juju Redman, Paige Robinson looks like she can fill those shoes. I know it's one exhibition game, but the way she played, the way she was scoring, just like I said for the men's team, the way they were doing it, the way she was scoring is something that's able to be brought mm-hmm. over to the Division One level for that Missouri Valley Conference. 
Um, and then one player off the bench who I am very high on, Tashana Wright-Gaskins, might be the best athlete I've seen on Illinois State women's basketball over the past three years. She put together a six-steal, four-block performance last night. Maybe could have been a fifth block there, um, but also six rebounds. And she, Gillespie said it last night, ISU women's basketball hasn't seen an athlete, athlete like that ever. In her time there, she doesn't know if they've ever seen an athlete like that. She can jump out of the gym. Yeah, it's just something so rare to see in the women's game that it just makes you so excited when you do see it. And it's something that can just be taken advantage of so easily. And she went two of six shooting, four points. But the things that she's doing just show up outside of the box score. And that's what gets you excited is that she's able to do things on the court that make differences in the game, even if they aren't seen on paper. I agree 100%. And the last person I do want to talk about, I mean, everyone had a great game yesterday, but one player that Gillespie had talked about on media day, uh, freshman Abby Alzma, uh, 10 points, 3 assists, 2 steals off the bench yesterday. She played 23 minutes, and Gillespie was very high on her. And I think she had a little bit jitters. She talked about that. Uh, she maybe was a little nervous going into the game. I mean, that's typical for a freshman in your first game. But she really started to get into the hang of it, and I think she looked really good yesterday. Yeah, and I don't know how any of these um, freshmen walk into Redbird Arena and play their first game there without a little jitters. It's just so big, and it's hard to say if it's bigger empty or if it's bigger full, you know, because it's just such a great space, and to see all those seats um, can be kind of daunting. So um, credit to her. That's why you love to have these exhibitions in your home arena to get – familiar get yourself shooting on those baskets in a live game scenario so um really excited to see what she can bring to the team this year especially off the bench in the second unit yeah i think for any player your first game with a new team you're gonna have jitters i mean even Paige robinson admitted that she had some jitters yesterday early on but once she, that first shot goes in you really start to get the hang of it so the women's team will be beginning their regular season action next thursday november 10th at dayton um and then they will return home the following Tuesday for their home opener. Um, I think that's it for women's basketball for me. Yeah, I one thing I want to touch on real quick, um, as far as swimming and diving goes, they start their season um, Saturday against Evansville in Eastern Illinois. I um, saw this week that Eva Reyes, um, as a diver, has not lost a one-meter event this season and missed a podium on a three-meter event this season. She's just been dominant so far. And, and then we brought this up last week. She's never lost in Redbird or at Horton Pool, which uh, I don't believe they're there this weekend, but, I mean. Yep, in Evansville. Yep. But uh, any time that you're uh, undefeated at a home pool, I mean, that's something to behold. I mean, yeah, she's only a sophomore, but that's pretty incredible. Right. Um, I think that's it for me. How about you? All good. All right, so uh, make sure to follow us in the meantime on our Twitter accounts at the underscore vedette and at Vidi underscore sports. Big thank you to Kyle Langelier for coming on today. Um, and, yeah, we'll see you next week.